Well, glad you're here. As I said before, we're working our way through a series. Cami, work on the back screens. We're working our way through a series called Follow. Today is part four. If you would like to catch any of the ones you've missed, you can go back to hammockstreetchurch.com or our YouTube channel and uh, pick it up there. They're always posted. Also, we live stream, but it's also posted right after we finish up. But in part four, we're talking about following Jesus. So if you were here for parts one, two, and three. You already know that. Briefly, here's what you've seen so far, if you've been keeping up with us. We saw first how all of Jesus' followers in the first century were unbelievers and sinners. By the way, that carries over to today, too. I hope you realize that. So that means that Jesus' invitation to follow is for unbelievers and sinners. And, and it wasn't until the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, or his earthly ministry, that people who, who actually touched him, like who were there with him, who actually heard him firsthand, who spent time with him, it wasn't until really the end of his earthly ministry that they actually came to a full-blown faith in him. They were skeptical the whole time. So if you have doubts, if you have questions, you're still invited to follow Jesus. We want everyone to kind of lean into the teachings of Jesus. And we want everyone to become followers of Jesus, regardless of where you're starting, regardless of, of where you are in your life, and regardless of where you are in your lifestyle, or your, or your obedience, or your knowledge, or your faith. And I, I've explained to you before, when I became a follower of Jesus, I had no knowledge of Jesus, like zero knowledge of Jesus, other than someone shared the gospel with me. So you, you can jump in at any moment. And then last week, we answered the question, if we're following Jesus, where are we going? Where are we following him to? And, and what's Jesus's primary message? Now, most people will tell you that the end game for following Jesus is simply heaven. But when you read the words of Jesus, yes, heaven is guaranteed, but that's not all of it. We also saw that the end game of following Jesus isn't just so that you can be a better person, even though there's some of that in there as well. But the place that we're heading when it comes to following Jesus is to get to the place where our faith in God overwhelms our fears in this world. The primary driving force of Jesus's message was that Jesus wants you and Jesus wants me to have a faith in him, to have a faith in God the Father that is enormous, a confidence in God that is so great that in the midst of fearful circumstances, which we all experience in our lives, we'll be able to obey the thing he said the most, which was fear not. Jesus kept saying, fear not, don't fear. Well, today we're going to answer another question. And here's the question we're going to answer today. What should Jesus' followers wear? How should we be followers? Uh, sorry. I'm a dad. Let's pray, and then we'll talk about it. Father God, thank you for gathering us together this morning. Thank you for allowing us to do whatever we needed to do to get out of the house and gather together here with your people, with your ecclesia, to come together to listen to your word, to better understand your word, and to understand how we can apply it to these lives that you've given us. So God, we thank you for this time. We ask you to open our hearts and minds to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Now, I know this is a question that everybody asks themselves. Everybody's clamoring to know the answer. If I'm going to follow Jesus, what am I supposed to wear? What am I going to wear? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about what you wear? Indicating what you follow? It makes a lot of sense, really. You can tell when someone follows something by what they wear. You want to test that statement? Let's test that statement out. I'm going to show you a few pictures. And you're going to tell me what or whom these people in the pictures are following by what they're wearing. Okay, ready? Here we go. Who are we following here? Florida Gators. That is right. If you went to another college, I'm sorry. I have the controls. So, all right. Next one. Who are these people following? Miami Dolphins. Now I know there are Patriots fans in the room and Viking fans in the room and Packers fans in the room and Jets fans in the room. I know, but again, you live here. We don't live there. So it's, you know, things. okay. Next one. Who do these people follow? Colombia. Yeah, see, I knew. See, like, that was eyes pandering. It's total pandering. So uh, <laughs> Colombians, you're welcome. That was, I did that for you. So I know we have Brazilians in here, Venezuelans in here, Puerto Ricanos in here. We have everybody in here, but... I got to pick one. So here we go. All right, ready? Let's keep going. All right, the Miami Heat, who are apparently in the, pol- in the playoffs, I'm told. Yeah? It's impressive, right? That's all I don't really follow. But anyway, all right. Now I want to get a little edgy. How about politics? <laughs> you didn't really think I was going to put up like a political picture, did you? Okay, so right? So. All right. By the way, okay, so we've seen that, but do religious people do the same thing? Do religious people wear something to let you know who they're following? Let's see. Who's this woman following? The Prophet Muhammad, right? This is a Muslim woman. She's following the Prophet Muhammad. All right, you're doing okay. Let's keep going. Buddhists, yes. These people are following Buddha. They're Buddhist priests. All right, next picture. Okay, these are Sikhs. Okay, these are Sikhs. They're following Sikhism. Do you know that Sikhism is the fifth largest religion in the world? Do you know that? And Sikhism is growing like crazy. So when you see the headdresses, when you see the scarves, you know that they're following the the teachings of Sikhism. So now back to our question, what should people who follow Jesus wear? If you know what somebody is following by what they wear, what should Jesus' followers wear? All right, so is it this? Okay, some, right? My Catholic brothers and sisters are going, yeah, okay, that's something Christians would wear. How about this? Now, if you own this shirt, please don't wear it, okay? So it's like... Come on. It's like the worst dad joke in the world. And I mean, give me a break. Okay, now that's one side of the Christian t-shirt spectrum that Christians often wear. Here, unfortunately, is the other side of it, right? God hates you. That's attractive, right? I'm sure the people from that church can't find a room big enough for all the people who want to go there, right? But, but those are just a few ways in which people who profess to be following Jesus think they ought to dress. Now, Here's something that you might not know. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us, he actually spells it out. He tells us what Jesus' followers are supposed to wear. Do you know that? So you go, hmm, is this a trick? 
Like, are we about to find out that we're supposed to go back to robes and, and sandals and men with beards and long hair and women covered up? And Is that what we're supposed to do? Well, let's take a look. You see, Paul told us what Jesus' followers are supposed to wear. Now, by the way, before we take a look at that, I want to give you a little background about the Apostle Paul. It's always good to know this stuff. Now, the Apostle Paul was also known as Saul, remember? And remember, his name was not changed when he became a believer or anything like that. Just Saul was the name he used in the Hebrew community. Actually, it was Shaul. He used that in the Jewish community, and he used the name Paul in the Roman community, the Greek Roman community. Now, his name was Saul of Tarsus. To be precise, they didn't have these last names like we do. They just had sort of a, a geographical indicator as to where they were from. Now, when we're first introduced to Paul, Paul hated Christians. Remember how the New Testament works. There are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the first four books of the New Testament. And that's where we learn the story of Jesus. And that's where we learn the gospel. And that's where we learn what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And then after that comes the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, not A-X-E. The book of A-C-T-S. Now, Acts is the story of what happened after Jesus went to heaven, after he ascended, after he left the earth. And it's in the book of Acts that we meet the apostle Paul. And in Acts chapter 26, the apostle Paul tells us in his own words all about himself. And he tells us that he was essentially a Christian hunter. That's what he made his living doing. Acts 26.10, Paul tells us, On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. When they were, and, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In other words, I supported them being killed, and I put them in prison to be killed. See, Paul wanted to put this new movement known as Christianity, he wanted to put this new movement out of business. He wanted to get rid of it. It was Paul's intention to shut down this new, what they consider to be a Jewish knockoff religion. And he was going about it by imprisoning followers and condemning all of the Jesus believers. But in the process of getting rid of them, he ended up joining them. You see, before long, Paul began planting communities of Jesus' followers. And then he began writing letters to these communities in order to coach them and help them do a better job. Now, interestingly, everything Paul knew about the teachings of Jesus, he learned from somebody else. He didn't learn these things from Jesus himself because he wasn't one of Jesus's early followers. He wasn't one of Jesus's followers while Jesus was still on the planet. He was actually a follower of the people who followed Jesus. So he knew. He knew Matthew. He knew Mark. He knew Luke. Luke was his traveling companion. Paul knew Jesus' mother, Mary. He also knew Peter. He knew all of these people. And he got the teachings of Jesus from those people. And as Paul began to kind of flesh out the teachings of Jesus, so what happens, you know, you learn stuff and then you kind of work it through in your mind. We do it with everything. You get it in there and you go, okay, what am I going to do with this? And how am I going to understand this? So as he's fleshing out the teachings of Jesus, he takes these teachings and then he turns them around. He wants to make them understandable for Gentiles because Gentiles were beginning to follow the movement as well. Now, why did he have to make it understandable for Gentiles? Well, the Jews were used to this kind of religion, and they were used to this kind of study, and they were used to the things that God had said, but the Gentiles, they didn't know. They didn't have this kind of connection. So Paul stood there in the gap. He, he was a, a Jewish guy, but he also knew how to live in a Gentile world. So he was the perfect person to sort of bridge that gap. So now we know about Paul. Now, the main teachings of Jesus 
are teachings that Paul constantly leveraged throughout his time in his ministry. So the main teaching that Paul leveraged was something that Jesus said toward the very end of his time on earth. So here's the scene. Jesus is in the upper room on a Thursday night. We talk about that when we serve communion. It was the evening before the crucifixion. Judas had already betrayed Jesus and Jesus was about to be arrested. And so while he's sitting there with his apostles gathered around him, Jesus told them that he was about to leave them. And he also told them where he was going and he said, you're not going to be able to join me. Now, for them, this was kind of a surprise. This was a shock. They had been with Jesus for three years and in their mind, they didn't want him to go anywhere. They wanted to always be with him. So they wanted to go wherever he went if he had to step away. And it was at that moment that Jesus introduced an idea that actually became the main point of his ministry. Here's what he said. This is in John's gospel, chapter 13. A new command I give to you, love one another. And then he ups the ante a little bit. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He says, if you forget everything else that I said to you, you're to love one another. But I don't want you to love one another in the typical way that you think love happens. I'm calling you to love one another in the way that I have loved you. I'm calling you to take your cue from me. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Remember when we talked about Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector? Well, it's Likely, and, and again, I'm, I'm adding stuff here. I'm not adding to the Bible. I'm trying to interpret, tell you what it said. But it's, it's likely that Jesus turned to Matthew when he said, Matt, he called him Matt. Do you remember the day I came up to you when you were collecting taxes? And you remember Peter and how angry he was when I talked to you? He wanted to spit on you. But before he could spit on you, I said, Matthew, before you've changed a thing about what you believe about me, before you're even sure about what I'm about, Jesus said, Matthew, would you follow me? Remember that? Remember how we talked about that? He just said, Matthew, follow me. Don't change and follow me. Just follow me. Do you remember that, Matthew? Remember how you felt that day, Matthew? Do you? Well, I want you to love these guys like that. I want you to love like I loved you. And then he turned to Nathaniel. And you'll remember this when I finish telling. He says, Nathaniel, do you remember what you said about me? The very first time when you heard about me, remember what came out of your mouth, Nathaniel? John wrote it down, so we have a quote. You said, Nathaniel, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Jesus is from Nazareth. <laughs> Nathaniel's like, huh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, Jesus, like, dude. He said that too. What's that all about? Well, why are you dissing my whole family and my city and my, my town and my relatives? Remember you said that about me, Nathaniel? Remember? And do you remember how I responded, Nathaniel? I said, Nathaniel. Follow me. He said, do you guys remember the day that I preached the sermon about eating my flesh and drinking my blood? It freaked everybody out. And then I told all you guys I was gonna leave. You remember that? Remember how I responded when I knew that you were about to abandon me after that? I chose not to abandon you. Now they remembered. Of course they remembered all of this. And I'm guessing Jesus let them know when I say I want you to love the way that I loved you, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. You disrespect me, I still love you. You, you want to leave me, I still love you. You want to turn your back on me, I still love you. So, and then he said this, and this is the part 
that just drove the, so much of what the apostle Paul would teach the new Christians. Here's what Jesus says. John 13, 35. He says, by this, by the love, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. If you love one another, everybody's going to know that you're my disciples. Because it's by this kind of unusual love, not typical love, unusual love, unconditional love, that everyone will know that you're my disciples. Remember, just the disciples, just the follower, an active learner, an active follower. In other words, this is what people are going to see, Jesus said. This is how I want people to distinguish you from everyone around you. This is the thing about you that I want them to look at that I want them to see, that I want them to feel and experience and go, that person must be a Jesus follower. I mean, I see the way they love people. That person must be a Jesus follower. Now, please know that this is the only time Jesus said, this is the thing that I want to mark you as a follower. This is it. He said no other thing that would mark his people as his people. And do you remember how the disciples responded when he gave them this this crazy world-changing command. Remember what they said? Where are you going? That's what they said. Where are you going? Like, what? Jesus gave them perhaps the most important indicator as to how he wanted them to live their lives as his followers. And Peter responds by saying, yeah, you know that thing you said about 10 minutes about you're going somewhere? Yeah, that's what I'm focusing on. Where are you going? And Jesus had been thinking, oh, okay, I just gave you the main thing, and all you want to know is where I'm going? Peter, man, Peter really stepped in it a lot of times in the scripture, but before we think too poorly of Peter, we should take note that the disciples were an awful lot like us, right? I mean, you got to imagine, they heard all the love one another stuff, and they went, right, got it, love one another, brilliant, oh, boss, amazing, okay, love one another, but, 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 I mean, you don't mean love my boss, do you? Because <laughs> that ain't happening. Or, or, or you don't mean loving the other moms in my mom's group, do you? Like, no way. Or, or that guy at work that I hate, you don't mean loving him, do you? Or what about that girl in school? Like, I'm not supposed to love her, right? Other than those people, Jesus, though, right? Love everyone. That's what you're really talking about. Which probably would have frustrated Jesus a bit. See, this wasn't just a thing that Jesus said, Oh yeah, by the way, love one another. This was the very thing. This was a command. This was the exact thing that he said, this is gonna identify you, my people, with the lost people in the world. Love one another was not just some religious thing to say. Love one another was their identity. It's who they are called to be. And here's the problem. In all religions, there is a gravitational pull. And in all religions, the gravitational pull is away from treating people well. And the gravitational pull is towards some kind of routine or some kind of ritual. We love routines. We love rituals. The gravitational pull of religion is always toward rule-keeping rather than toward relationship building. Now, why is that? Well, here's a suggestion. Because I'm in control when it comes to rule-keeping. I can tell myself if I've kept the rules. I'd rather have God love me because of something I did or something I never did. And anytime I ever messed something up, I always apologize for it. Or I always ask God for forgiveness, or at least I always felt really bad about it, even when I did it again. If I ask God to forgive me, under the rule theory, I'm covered. 
And by doing this, I've created sort of a religion in which I can make things right with God so he and I are always cool. Now, under this system, I can hate you. And it's okay to hate you as long as I love God. As long as I love God, even though I hate others, as long as I love God under my religious system, God's going to go, cool, that's great. And Jesus is going to go, yep, it's okay with me. See, the gravitational pull of all religion is towards some sort of traditions, rituals, or rule-keeping schemes. And don't get me wrong, traditions can be good, and rituals can be wonderful, and rule-keeping can be helpful and useful. But all of these things can replace the priority of treating people well. And that isn't good. That is bad. In fact, it is likely that at least some of you have been mistreated by a church or by church people as a result of the application or misapplication of those traditions, rituals, and rule-keeping. And it's likely that, at least for some of you, you've been mistreated in the name of Jesus. Somebody might have said to you, you can't do this, or you can't say that, or you need to do some other thing because Jesus, they rejected you in the name of Jesus, the Savior who died for you. Now, this isn't in the Bible, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I don't think Jesus is pleased when his followers mistreat the people he died for. See, Jesus knew that if he simply left his disciples without telling them about the importance of the primacy of the way that they loved one another, the people who followed him and continued his movement would have turned it into something that was just like all the other religions. Jesus knew that. He knew if he didn't emphasize love, his followers would default to the belief that they didn't have to treat anybody with kindness as long as they figured that they had mastered the formula of how they could make Jesus happy with them. By the way, isn't it interesting? We're always trying to make God happy with us, and then when things go bad, we think we must have failed at that, and God must be unhappy with us. Even though the Scripture tells us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to do nice things. He took care of us before then. So Jesus made it clear. He told them, the thing, not one of the things, the thing that'll distinguish you from all the others in the world will be the way that you love each other. Not just loving them as much as they deserve to be loved. You've heard that before, right? People say, I'll treat you as you treat me. No, 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 no. Loving them the way that Jesus loved. See, Jesus did not want his followers to ever try to substitute some ritual, rule-keeping tradition for loving people the way that he loved people and the way that he loves us. In the practice of modern-day Christianity, it is very easy to make the mistake. It is very easy to confuse discipline with discipleship. But that's a tough understanding to apply, and it's very easy to confuse. We think, as long as, I, as long as I have my disciplines, as long as I have my prayer time, as long as I attend church regularly, as long as I don't do this, as long as I always do that, then Jesus and I are good. It's easy to confuse that with actually following Jesus when it comes to how we treat other people. In fact, that's why a lot of people stop coming to church, because they've met too many church people. And that's why a lot of people don't read their Bibles. It's because the person that they know that knows the most scripture 
is often the meanest person they know too. See, all religion gravitates toward rule keeping and it gravitates away from relationship development and relationship maintenance. It's much easier to check things off a list. I did this, I did my Bible study, I did my, than it is to love people who are hard to love. And Jesus said, that's the thing I want to be different about you. All right, so 20 years or so passed since Jesus' resurrection. Paul had become a Jesus follower. And he was traveling all around the Mediterranean rim, walking into the synagogues. This is his procedure. This is how he did it. And he told people, hey, God has done something unusual in Jerusalem. The Messiah has come. And his name is Yeshua, Jesus most of the Jewish people in the synagogue would run him out of the place. They didn't want to hear any of this stuff, but a few would seek him out, wanting to hear more. And then Paul would take those few, and he'd gather up some Gentiles, and then he'd form a community. He'd form an ecclesia. He'd form what we call a church. Then he'd get on a ship, and then he'd move on. By the way, he'd get on a ship you wouldn't ever dream of getting on. It's not like he stepped on the carnival, whatever, or the you know, Norwegian... Spirit of the sea or whatever those things are. No, th- this is a ship you're not getting on. And he'd move on to the next stop and he'd do it again. So after all of that, then Paul would, he'd write back to each of these communities that he had started and he'd give them advice as to how to handle their people, how to handle their problems, how to manage things. And over time, Paul began to see that, that people were doing the very same thing that we just talked about. They all began to develop these formulas and traditions. Here's how to do this. Here's how we don't do that. And they begin to use this religion that they created as an excuse to mistreat people. So in many of Paul's letters, Paul tries to bring them back to the basics. I mean, that's what Paul's doing in the Pauline epistles. Epistles, just a fancy word for letter. So in the letters, Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You've gone sort of far, far afield. Let me bring you back to what Jesus taught. And instead of just saying love one another to everyone, although he did say that in some of his letters, Paul took the idea of loving each other and he gave us a description of the kind of things that should characterize the life of a Jesus follower. So Paul sort of boils it down and says, here are the things that'll show that you're loving like that. So in a letter he wrote to the community in Colossae, which is roughly 100 miles from the community in Ephesus, he wrote about how they were called to love. And he conveyed his message by telling the Colossian believers how they should dress. He told them what they should wear. So now we're going to turn to that letter. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to open up. Pull up an app, whatever you got. Or look at the screen. We're looking at chapter 3 of the book of Colossians. So here's what Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, so he's talking to the believers here, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Did you realize he said that? Close yourself. Paul said, I want to tell you how to close yourselves. And then he gives us very specific things that Jesus' followers are to put on, are to wear as they live out their lives. Here's what he said. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Okay, let's take a minute and look at what these garments might look like. First, compassion. In the Greek text, there are, there are two terms that are translated into compassion. This is, this is kind of cool. In English, when we really love somebody, how do we describe it? We say, I love them with all of my what? My heart, right? I love, I love them with all my heart. In Greek, they didn't say it that way. They said it a little bit differently, a little bit more gross. They said, I love them with all of my bowels. 
It's kind of gross. I, I honestly, it, it, it kind of means I love them from my gut. Like it's like a gut feeling, right? I love, I love you from my, uh, from my gut. So by this, Paul meant that the believers were to clothe themselves with something that everyone has experienced at some time in their lives or another. That feeling of, of oh, you know, you know how when you're heartbroken or you see something that stirs compassion in you, you really don't feel it here. You feel it here, Ugh, right? It hits you in the gut. That's the idea. Paul said, clothe yourselves with compassion. It's important. Because that represents a shift away from typical religion. Clothe yourselves with compassion is not, you should have studied harder. You should have memorized more. I mean, study is important for a Jesus follower, but it isn't primary. And it's not, you should have worked harder, because hard work, it's important, but it's not primary. Jesus' people are to be known as a group of people who are compassionate. Jesus' people are to reflect the fact that they feel what other people are going through regardless of the fact that they were wrong or that the situation might have been prevented through their own efforts. See, this is a tough one, and I gotta tell you, I've struggled with this one too. When you meet somebody and they just dump something horrible on you or fire something awful at you, it's human nature to, to recoil and to respond. But the tough part is to go, hmm, I wonder why they did that. I wonder what made them so angry so bitter, so whatever, that they had to shoot me with it. You've heard the expression, hurt people hurt people. That's a good one to remember. And that's what compassion is all about. To feel what other people are going through, regardless of the fact that you think they're totally wrong and you don't appreciate what they said to you. Paul wanted them, and he wanted us to wear compassion. All right, moving on. Next, Paul wants us to clothe ourselves with kindness. Okay, What's kindness? Kindness is when you loan your strength to somebody else. Think about this. Kindness is someone needs something to be done for them, so you do it for them. You extend yourself. You loan them your strength because they're lacking. Paul told us to put on kindness as a baseline approach to life. All right. Next, Paul told us about humility. Humility in relationship to other people is seeing myself as I really am in relationship to other people and to God. It's viewing myself, it's viewing ourselves more accurately. And my accurate view of myself in relationship to other people is I'm just another person. Uh, one, of my, one of my teachers likes to say, I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where I found bread. That's it. I'm nothing more than a citizen of humanity, just like everyone else. And recognizing that there's an equality among humans and that what makes you special is the same thing that makes me special. The fact that we're loved by God the Father, that allows us to be humble and humility allows me to approach you as a peer no matter what you do, no matter what you don't do, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done. No matter how old you are, no matter how educated you are, humility allows us to see that we're all peers in this world and we're all peers who live under the canopy of God's love. And Paul said when people interact with you, especially if they perceive that you are somehow important, you have a prominent job, you're their boss, whatever it is that you do, I want to I want you to come across, Jesus said, as someone who understands that that's not what makes you special. What makes you special is the same thing that makes them special. 
that God loves us all unconditionally. Paul said, I want your life to exude that. I want it to just pour out of you. I want your life to, to give off that kind of humility. All right? Next, gentleness. You know what gentleness is? Gentleness is the decision to respond to another in light of their strengths and weaknesses instead of responding to another out of my strength. Gentleness is deciding to come down to another's level of strength or weakness as we interact, as opposed to coming at somebody with all my strength. You like this illustration. It's the difference between picking up a contact lens on the end of my finger or grabbing a football with my, with my hands. We can do both, right? Gentle, not so gentle. That's how that works. I'm going to adjust my strength according to the object of my strength. It means that gentle people don't come into the conversation, don't maintain the relationship from a position of who they are, what they've done. Well, I am important. It means that they don't come into this relationship thinking that their knowledge or their insight or their background or their accomplishments is so much better than the other person. Gentle people gear down to the level of the other person. But they're not condescending. They're just simply communicating that my relationship with you is more important than your being impressed by me. I'm going to adjust myself for your benefit, gentleness. Next, Paul told them to wear patience. This is a tough one. It's certainly a tough one for me. Patience is deciding to go the speed of another person. That's patience. That's the whole thing. Patience is gearing back and determining that I'm going to move at your speed instead of my speed. These are the vestments. These are the clothes that Paul tells us to put on every morning. This is what God wants us to be known for. And then Paul summarized everything with a couple of basic thoughts. Here's what he said. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So with this, Paul ties it right back to what Jesus was teaching throughout his ministry. Paul said, I want you to forgive as the Lord forgave you. In fact, I want you to be compassionate like God was compassionate with you. I want you to be gentle like God was gentle with you. I want you to be patient like God was patient with you. And then he summarized it all this way in verse 14. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect Unity. Love is the canopy under which all things live. Love is sort of the overarching driver for everything that I've just listed for you every day. All right. Now, if you're anything like I am, you will get up out of your chair and you will forget everything I just said. I do the same thing. This is not a a critique. It's an observation. I do the same thing. So I want to give you the whole list and I want to give it to you in a format that will be more easy to remember. Okay, so here we go. If you want to be a follower, kindness, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, okay, this is what the followers are to wear. Then the question is how? How do we remember all this stuff? How do we do all this stuff? Well, it helps to remember who said it all. Paul said it. Why should we listen to Paul? Well, Paul was a guy who accomplished more in a few years than we'll ever accomplish in a lifetime. I hate to break this to you. Nobody is going to know our names 2,000 years from now. Nobody. No one will quote us. 
We won't start a movement that'll endure through the ages. It's not gonna happen. But 2,000 years ago, Paul got on a boat we wouldn't dream of getting on. He traveled to dangerous places where he was stoned. And that means people drop rocks on him, okay? You guys. He was beat up. He was shipwrecked. Paul did that to plant numerous Jesus communities around the Mediterranean Rim so that he could reach lost people like us. The reason we're here today is because not what Paul taught and not what Paul wrote, but because of what Paul did. And Paul did all of that without electricity or excedrin. Can you believe that? I mean, I can't go on a vacation without excedrin. Paul is a brilliant choice to model ourselves after. The point is it's possible even though it's not going to happen overnight, but it's possible to order our lives consistently to reflect these things. Because if Paul, a hardcore, aggressive, in-your-face Pharisee, if he can order his life like that, we can too. So here's a tool. And it, I, listen, I admit this tool is corny. I'm going to ask you guys to help me along with it because it requires a little bit of audience help, okay? Don't raise your hand but how many of you have ever seen a chick flick that was rated PG? Is there a such thing as a chick flick rated PG? Now, don't go thinking about all the chick flicks you know, because I understand that, sure, there are chick flicks rated PG, but I want you to humor me so we can remember this. Okay, so humor me. Is there such a thing as a chick flick that's rated PG? Please repeat after me, no. Oh, you're not all in. No? Good. So here's how we remember what a follower of Jesus is to wear. Here we go. Chick flick PG. <laughs> Compassion, humility, kindness, forgiveness, love, kindness again, just to make the acrostic work. And by the way, it, it doesn't hurt to be reminded to be kind, right? Now, by the way, if you come up with a better acrostic, let me know. We'll use that one. This is, there's, it doesn't matter. I didn't even come up with this one. Andy Stanley came up with this one. So just so you know. But we need to commit these things to memory. So the idea is this. If you have some quiet time in the morning, a devotional time, you're getting ready for work, you're in the car heading to work or to school or whatever, just take a beat and say, God, please help me clothe myself in the things that will enable me to represent my faith in you to the world around me. Lord, help me put on compassion. I don't want to just immediately react to stuff. I want to at least pause and consider the actions of the other person. And I want it to be obvious that I'm doing that. God, let me model humility today. Let me always remain aware that in your eyes, we're all your children. And I'm not going to leverage anything that you've given me to give me an advantage over someone else. God, I want to be kind. I want to, I want to recognize the opportunities I have to loan my strength to others. God, help me forgive not because people deserve it, but because you forgave me. And God, in all of this, I want to put on love because love holds all things together. And God, help me to develop patience as I'm working on everything. Help me to move at other people's pace and be patient with them. And teach me to be gentle. I want to put on gentleness. I want to listen. And when I respond, I want to respond at their level of strength and capacity instead of just leveraging my level of strength and capacity. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that? Chick, flick, PG. You can remember that, right? Now, listen. These things don't come naturally. 
That's exactly why Jesus had to tell the disciples to do them. That's why he had to tell them, and he has to tell us, listen, I want you to love, but not the way people deserve to be loved. I want you to love the way that Jesus loved us. That's not natural. That is above natural. That is supernatural. But it wasn't just a suggestion. It was a command. But Jesus wants for this to be the thing that distinguishes us to everybody around us. Jesus wants us to remove our natural inclinations, to remove our eight Enneagrams, if you know what that is, to remove our type A personalities, to remove our strong opinions and our pride and our arrogance and our impatience and our snarkiness and our contempt and our certainty about our habits and activities and put on these things. Compassion, humility, kindness, forgiveness, love, kindness, patience, and goodness. Chick flick, PG. These attributes are not common in the world today. These attributes have never been common in the world among people. And so when we learn to put them on, people will notice. I always say what's really fun about living here in South Florida is that being kind is countercultural. When you are kind, people notice. You ever go up to the deli counter in Publix or the fish counter in Publix and, and, you, and you say, please, hi, how are you? May I please have? And people behind you go like this, right? Or conversely, you ever go up to somebody who doesn't say please and they give me this, give me that. And you're like, oh, you feel it in your, in your bowels, right? It's not common. They've never been common. So when we learn to put them on, people notice. You see, Jesus did not come to make a point. He could have made a point in five minutes and just turned around and left. You don't need to die on a cross just to make a point. Jesus came to make a difference. And as the body of Christ, as the ecclesia, as the church, we're here to make a difference as well. And we can make that difference in our culture. And we can make that difference in our marriages, in our relationships. We can make that difference with our kids and with our parents. We can make that difference in with our workmates and we can make that difference in our community and we can make that difference when people sense a genuine compassion and an extraordinary kindness and a gentleness that just seems beyond our capacity. We can make a difference when we love people the way that God the Father loved us through Jesus, God the Son. So here's an idea. Tomorrow, let's clothe ourselves with chick flick PG. And you know what'll happen? It'll make a difference. Because just as God's overwhelming love made a difference in you and it made a difference in me, God's overwhelming love will make a difference through you as you clothe yourself with love. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, some of us have been the victims of misguided religious people. While others of us have been a part of perpetrating terrible things on people in the name of religion, sometimes in the name of Jesus. Father, we're sorry for that. From this moment on, Father, help us to put on love as we continue to endeavor to become more faithful followers of our Lord and Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.